Welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast, as we explore the mind of former MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner, Brett Boone, as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. Brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. On this episode of the Boone Podcast, Brett sits down with all-pro defensive lineman, Jared Allen. Great jump by Allen. Here he comes. He's got it. Sack number 22. And now, here's your host, Brett Boone. Welcome to the Boone Podcast. I'm Brett Boone, and today on the program, I sit down with a five-time Pro Bowler who's a four-time first-team All-Pro and is a member of the 100 Sack Club. Ladies and gentlemen, Jared Allen. Jared, thanks for coming on the program. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. How good of a negotiator is Aaron Boone? I heard you bought a house from him in Arizona. Who got the better deal, you or him? For sure. <laughs> Who did? Who did? Oh, me, for sure. Me. For you sure. got yeah. you got a good deal. Well, good. It's it's actually we got we got a little time together here. It's good that you got a good deal. I mean, that was yeah, yeah, that was I years was, ago, but but many, uh, many, many go ahead. I promise I already knew that they were, you know, they had built another house, they were moving, and I did the old silent game. <laughs> <laughs> I told Aaron you were coming on. He said to tell tell you hello, and uh, yeah, thanks for coming on the program. All right, born in Dallas, Texas, uh, but you're raised in Morgan Hill, California. Tell me about Jared Allen as a kid growing up. Who were your favorite teams? Was it always football? Give me a snapshot yeah, of, your, of your childhood. Always- Always football. So I grew up on a horse ranch. So my dad man's ranches all over Northern California growing up. Um, so, you know, that was kind of what we did. But it was uh, football was always, always king. I would, you know, play baseball. I played everything growing up until about seventh grade. And then that was like, you know, complete meat stick. And was like, only focusing on football. Uh, I told my dad when I was eight years old, I was going to play pro football. And like most, you know, parents were like, okay, Johnny, you know, go to school. My dad used to drop me off at the uh, front gate of our, of the, of the farm ranch and, make me run all the way up to the house, which is probably about a mile up the road. And, uh, yeah, he just was like, you better eat, drink, and sleep it. So <laughs> I had the dad that was all in, uh, pushed me that way. Uh, I was a huge Raiders and Bills fan growing up. Um, yeah, don't ask me how your kid out in California became a huge Bills fan, but just love the Bills. They were, I mean, just that style. Obviously, the Raiders, you know, they speak for themselves. Uh, but, yeah, I was, I, was, I was wild. I was a wild child, man. That's why I think I love football so much, you know, especially playing defense. You just got to uh, go out and, you know, physically assault people without going to jail for it. I think that's so cool, though. You told you told your dad as a kid, like, this is what I'm going to do. All right, let's do it. I, I mean, I was the same way. You know, you look back at when we become adults and, and uh, we, we reach that pinnacle, we reach what we were, we were striving for our whole life. You know, you look back and you laugh at that little kid that to- that told everybody what he was going to do. And then you do it. You know, it may be naive, but a lot of times it's what you got to it, it's you got to buy all in. You got to be passionate about what you do. You know, I talk to kids today uh and today is such a different game. This world's changed in 2021. You better be passionate about what you want to do because there's a lot of people that'll knock you off your pedestal. And that that's cool to hear because I had a very similar childhood, obviously, with baseball. It's all I ever wanted to do. And, yep. you know, I'd go into my my classes in high school and I'd talk to my guidance counselor. And I'd say, well, I'm going to college, but I don't really care. Just whatever I need to get by. I'm going to be a baseball <laughs> player. Yeah. 
I'm going to be a oh, baseball have, player. And she's like, yeah, what's your backup? Uh, I don't have a backup. Do you realize who you're talking to? <laughs> yeah, and, no, and that's yeah, the way I it was. One time, I was like, I'm going to call a scholarship. They're like, oh, well, you only need, you only need like a 700 on your SAT. <laughs> I was like, it was probably bad advice that my counselor gave me. Because <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah. I can be a mediocre student as long as I'm good at football. I'm good to go. Uh, but yeah, you know, I think. I think, you know, it's always good to, uh, you know, I don't always recommend people put all their eggs in one basket, but what I do think, I think people should, should dream big. I think people should chase, you know, chase their goals no matter what. Um, I think more people should be supportive of it, right? Um, but I think, I think it takes a special mindset to do, to do those things, right? It, it's, it's people that are going to be self-motivated to be, to be great, to be the best. And, um, you know, obviously I've always had good people around me, you know, driving me that way great coaches and stuff like that but um but yeah i just had a, I just had a mindset no matter what i do i want to be the best at and uh, i think that gets lost sometimes i think so many people are afraid of failure because you know they don't truly understand what success is you know success is, is that will to just keep going until you accomplish what it is you want to accomplish uh my dad used to tell it all the time too he's like i don't care if you dig ditches like if you're gonna if you're gonna dig ditches play football whatever it is just be the best at what, if you're gonna dig ditches, you'd be the best ditch digger that there is uh so that was just kind of the mindset we always grew up with, and uh, as I did, and um, you know, it kind of it, it, luckily it paid off. You went to Live Oak High School, transferred to Los Gatos High. Um, tell me a little bit about what the recruiting process was for you at the high school level. It was good until we decided to, uh, you know, take a whole bunch of yearbooks as a prank which we thought was really funny. Uh, the school didn't find it nearly as funny as I did, hence why I transferred to Los Gatos High School. <laughs> uh, I knew there was something and, in there. Uh, yeah, and then, um, and then you know, some schools, you know, you, come, you, get, you get a little at-risk label on you. So, um, but no, see, I, I, I transferred there. Uh, you know, I, I wanted to play in Pac-10 my whole, my whole uh, you know, high school career. I was, you know, being a California kid. Wanted to play in the Pac-10. Uh, but, you know, I, you know, coaches at Idaho State, they all came from Washington State. You know, uh, Larry Lewis was recruiting me, and they were at my door every week. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, you know, lost a few scholarships based on the old transfer getting in trouble, and uh, they were right there to scoop me up. And, you know, so I decided to see that one through. <laughs> you go to Idaho State. Uh, they're they're going to redshirt you. But they, they abort that program. You end up playing eight games as a freshman. I think you were. I think you were honorable mentor. All mention all big sky. Um, yep. How was that adjustment for you, high school to college? You know, we got a lot of guys on the on the program, a lot of football guys, and I always get you know I get different takes from each one. But uh, what was your take going from going from high school to uh, Idaho State? I'll never forget the first time I watched film in college. I thought I was watching it in fast forward. Right. I was just like, oh my gosh, like what is what is going on? And these dudes, I was never a big weight room guy, but these dudes were in there crushing weights, and I was just like, holy crap! Um, but it's just like anything else, right? Once you get into it, it's the same like jump from from college to pros. I'll never forget. I was you know sitting with, in the Chiefs, and Lynn Styles, our you know player personnel guy, when I got drafted, the Chiefs came over and he said, uh, he said, Jerry, let me tell you, he's like, the field is still fifty two and a half, or what is it, fifty three, fifty two and a third wide. And, you know, 100 yards, 120 with the end zones long. He's like, you end up eventually playing against the same guys you played against in college. Same guys, different uniforms. So, you know, it was one of those things when I first, you first, first get there, just mind-blowing the difference. But then as you just chip away at it, you start thinking, okay, well, this dude was in high school last year. This dude was this or, you know. And uh, it, it slows down just like anything. I'm sure baseball was, was the same way. Um, 
but yeah, so it just kind of one of those things. But yeah, I'll never forget first watching film. I was like, holy crap! And then you know, you just you slowly start building confidence. And uh, eventually, I went to my coach and I was like, listen, I didn't come to a one double A school at redshirt. You know, I was like, I had like thirteen Pac ten offers yeah, at one point in my my life. I'm better than this. <laughs> so yeah. my comp- my confidence got me on the field, and then uh, just the talent did the rest. You end up killing it. You're all big sky every year, and and your senior year. Uh, you win the Buck Buchanan Award, which is the best one double A defensive player in the country. That's a pretty big deal. And uh, what is your now? Now it starts the process. You know, you're you're getting ready to leave college. You're getting ready for the NFL draft, uh, the combine. Um, lead me up to draft day and, and what your thoughts are. What's what's going through your head? Because you're not coming out of UW or, or you know Alabama, but you killed yeah. it where you're at. Yeah, you know, it was, uh, you know, I, played, I did well in the East West Shrine game, so I had a lot of good pub going up to it. You know, I kind of knew where I was going to go at, obviously, uh, you know, where, I, where I, with that range. Um, so I was excited. You know, I thought it was going to come down to the Titans, the Browns, the Chiefs between the third and fifth round. Um, and to be honest, it, it was, it's, it's, you know, looking back, it's hilarious at the time. It stung. But, you know, uh, so watch the draft third round, some of the Titans are on the board, and I get a phone call from a block number, and, voice says hey it's jeff fisher we're we're how you want to be a tight we're drafting tight i jumped up i was like yeah they go in the third <laughs> round of the time and then i see someone else's name come across the screen and i was like what i was like hello and then all my buddies came out of the back room cracking up oh like, no six nine me or whatever and blocked the number and totally fell for it oh it was just devastation just devastation <laughs> what kind, Jared, what kind of friends do you have? I mean, I understand oh, pranking God. you, but not on that day. Oh, they still your buddies? Yeah. yeah, yeah, pretty devastated. And then, uh, so yeah, then the next day, you know, watching watching go down and go down, and they take Sammy Parker over me in the fourth. The Chiefs did. Uh, and they they traded back up. I think they had one day to pick obviously one twenty six. They took me, in. and honestly, it couldn't have been better. Uh, you know, to go to Coach Ramil, Bob Carmel, my D-line coach. You know, I had such great veteran leadership there. Um, I was actually talking to the radio station today about just the fact that I think, it ended up, you know, by the time I left the Chiefs, that locker in my head, there's there's four Hall of Famers in there already, you know. Um, so I couldn't have come into a better circumstance to, to learn from and learn what football is about, what being a pro is about, and learn how to, you know, what excellence, what that standard of excellence was. So Idaho State, Kansas City Chiefs, 2004, you start. 10 games, nine sacks, pretty good start. But what, what was the, uh, you talked about the high school to college, uh, same, same transition from college to pro or is, was it a, uh, yeah, for me, I think the biggest transition was in, like I said, when Lynn Styles was talking about, you know, just, Hey, same, same guys, different uniform. Right. But for me, it was, was learning. I'd, I'd never been a backup before. Right. You know, pop Warner all the way through, college i was always the guy and so to come in as a fourth round pick and you're running with the twos you know doing all the special team stuff and and you know having to to understand that you know and not be satisfied with that but you know just out basically outwork that the vet that's ahead of you and learn how to make my 20 snaps better than his 40 right and how and, and how that mindset works that was probably my biggest adjustment was was not being the front runner right and having to go out and, you know, prove myself day in, day out. Um, and so once, but once, you know, once you get in that mentality of work, and once you start understanding, getting that groove, understanding that system and realizing, okay, 
I can play with these guys and you're not really starstruck anymore by, you know, the Tony Gonzalez's of the world. Um, yeah, then you sit right in and then the competitor takes over, right? And it's, you know, again, that mindset of, you know, if I want to be the best, I got to beat out the best. Um, and so that's just kind of what, what, what carried me through. While I got a quick second, want to give a shout out to DraftKings. We've partnered with DraftKings now and they are the official sponsor of the Boone Podcast. Dan? Hey, thanks, Boone. Football fans, who's ready to score some free bets? Now you can when you bet on any NFL game this week with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. New customers who bet just $1 on either team to score can win $100 in free bets. When a team scores, you score. Hey, if Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, no worries. DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. So why wait? Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code BOONE, B-O-O-N-E. Bet $1 on either team to score and win $100 in free bets. If they score, you score. With promo code BOONE this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. And now back to my interview with Jared Allen. Yeah, and it's kind of different, you know, from baseball to to football to uh, the NBA. You guys, you know, the big boys, you go right from college, you go right right to play with the big boys. Us us baseball-wise, you know, I went to USC for three years. We still got a minor league to go through. So I often wondered about that. I mean, I guess – I guess our minor leagues is what big time college football is, but, but we're always the guy and they're grooming you, but you're right. Once you get to the big stage, once you get to the big leagues, uh, you got to perform. And, and it's not that I ever had to play behind somebody, but I, you know, just reaching that pinnacle. And then once you get there, that's the easiest part was getting there, you know, on the baseball side, the toughest part is staying there. Um, Absolutely. But it's, yeah, but it's, but it's interesting. You go in 2000, 2005, 2006, you had 11 sacks, seven and a half, but you get to 2007 and this is kind of where you started to make a, a big name for yourself. Uh, your first team all pro and, and you lead the league in sacks with 15. You made mullets cool. Tell me about that, that coming out 2007 year. Yeah. So seven was, it was great. You know, I'd coming off of 2006 and you know, where I'd, you know, made, made, made a few bad life decisions. And then, so I had, you know, I had to go through this process of growing up. I couldn't just be this meat stick, you know, out there just, you know, playing football party and having a good time, uh, you know, living the life in North Dallas 40. And, um, and so, <laughs> you know, it was really, I think it was really when I became a professional, right. You know, dropped the bad weight that I was carrying, you know, really got into the gym hard really started focusing on the mental side of the game as well. Uh, you know, and really understanding, okay, that I was good. Right. But I wanted to be great. I've always wanted to be great. I mean, I already had a really good three years, you know, first three years. And, and, you know, for me, I guess so the whole thing with, you know, the, the humbling experience, right. You can be that guy and you'll be good. Or we can, we can, you know, really see where we can take this to the next level. So, you know, started training MMA that year with Jay Glazer, which really, you know, started helping my hands and hips and feet all kind of work together, 
uh, you know, dropped, dropped like, I was like, cause I, you know, I was playing at my first game and they balked me up to like 275, 280. So I, you know, I cut down to like 255, got rid of all the bad weight. I was still just as fast, you know, or more explosive, faster, you know, just as strong. Um, and really just started honing in and watching more and more. I'm not even a film guy, but just, just really honing in on my craft, right? And how am I going to take that next level? How am I going to go for good? And because I think it was more, um, you know, I, 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 was, I was embarrassed. I went from 11 to seven and a half sacks. I missed like five or six. That, game. Just, that year to me was a bunch of missed opportunities, right? So was uh, one of those things where I just, you know, again, I watched Tony. Tony. Tony took extra care of his body, right? Tony was always in great shape. He always cared about what he put in his body. I mean, that dude was a work. You know, work was never the issue for me, but that dude was, he worked for the purpose. Um, and so, yeah, I just, you know, I, I kind of took that time and decided, okay, this is, you know, we need to take that next step. Uh, the mullet came in because I made a bet with my financial guy who had the dopest mullet. He went to ASU. Uh, <laughs> he, had the, he had the dopest mullet back in college. I was like, bro, you need to grow that back. And so we made a little wager. He got the best mullet by tax day. And, uh, you know, it just happened to be a culmination of, you know, the game jumped, it came out, was, was, was playing with my hair on fire, the hair got longer, you know, the nostalgia grew, the team got behind it. Dustin Colquitt started shaving, you know, racing stripes into my head for every sack. I can't take any credit for him. I was all him. Because um, then the folklore started to grow, so we had to keep it. <laughs> no, that's all. I remember sitting down, there was a rookie. Uh, he got to the big leagues and he was, his locker was next to mine. And, and I, he used to ask me for advice all the time. I said, well, I said, what I would do is I'd, I'd show up, I'd have my khakis on, I'd have a polo shirt, I'd have my hair parted to the side. I'd say, yes, sir, no, sir, speak when I'm spoken to. I said, you make an all-star team, you do whatever the hell you want to do. I said, in the meantime, yeah. stay under the radar. And, and it sounded like, I mean, you're the man at this point. You know, you lead the league in sacks uh and and you grow the mullet and and every, and it's cool all of a sudden it's cool it's not cool for that guy third string with the mullet but for you it's cool and uh yeah i love that about sports and and uh it's just fun all all my experiences over the years and the different hairdos and, that i had um but yeah, it's, it's all fun it gives right? you it's part of your personality yeah, it's all. It's, and I think that's what's cool about sports and how you can take how you can take team sport, right? But you have all these individual personalities and how you can get them to work. And I think that's the the sign of a great coach, a great manager. Um, you know, is is you know, I tell people that you know coaches really are managers, right? Of, of of personalities and how do you get these personalities to fit together to go win championships or, or to go to be the best, right? And so I think that's what makes it fun. And uh, but yeah, it's I tell you what, if you're gonna you're gonna you know, you're going to take it, you know, look like the boss and, uh, and, and, and be out there. You better be darn good because, you know, the first time you get your butt kicked and you show up looking, you know, goofy as hell, the other team's sure going to let you know about it. <laughs> <laughs> you get traded to Vikings and you, you end up staying with the Vikings 08 to uh, 2013. I got traded a few times. It never bothered me. I always took it as, uh, it, it's business. And, and I always tried to look at it, it. Well, it's not that my team wanted to get rid of me. It was like another team wanted me. How was that uh, for you going from Kansas City to, to Minnesota in, in 08? New team, new system, new coaching staff? Well, that was, it was, you know, it's always different. I had no plans of leaving, uh, you know, Kansas City. For me, I'm one of the few people in my in in the league or in sports. I've, I never got cut and every trade was because I asked it and I got to go where I wanted to, right? Um, 
So, you know, Kansas City, we had a dispute over contracts. Um, they were going to franchise me. I told them, you know, kind of see, you know, if you franchise me, I'm out. Um, so that was it. You know, they, they kind of, you know, again, without going to full detail, you know, all the, the, the drama, but, you know, we had, we were, you know, we were supposed to get an extension. It didn't happen. Um, I was unhappy about it. And so, you know, I just, you know, I kind of, I told him that you guys need to trade me. Otherwise I'll, you know, pull a hamstring and <laughs> I'll, I'll be done. You guys could, yeah. I'll be done for, for you know, week 10. Um, so, you know, it was one of those deals where I, I just wanted to be one. Like you said, you know, I, I felt like I'd given so much to that organization um, and for them to, to not be standing there with open arms, you know, to try to get a deal done with me. I get, you know, for me, it was the first time I had to deal with the business side of it and I took it personal. I did. And, uh, and so we asked to be traded and, you know, we were able to, to get the trade to Minnesota where, you know, they, it was, it was great. I mean, you know, Rob and, and Rick and everybody up there did a phenomenal job, um, you know, getting the deal done. And, you know, it was, it was, it was great to be rewarded for, you know, all the effort I'd put in. Um, and then, you know, for me, it was just, you know, I wanted to play even that much harder for them for people that are going to put that kind of faith in me. Um, and we, we had a phenomenal six years up there, uh, just nothing but respect. Still talk to all those guys up, uh, up there. Love, love that whole organization. So, yeah. So for me, it was yeah, it was one of those deals where I think the hardest part was you know the fact that I had no no plans on leaving Kansas City, and then you know I had to make those phone calls and, and let them know like, hey, now I, now I have no plans of playing for Kansas City anymore. So we need to get this trade done and uh, and get me where I can you know where I felt like I would be you know I guess better not wanted but you know rewarded for the efforts that I put in because I'm such, I'm such a loyal, you know, a, you know, athlete, you know, it gets ingrained in you. Um, unfortunately the pros can get a little cloudy, but you know, you college, and I feel you're so loyal to, to the coaches and the team. And, um, you know, it's, you want to be rewarded for that. And so, you know, Minnesota was there and, and we got the deal done. And so it started a whole new chapter, which just kind of gave me even more juice to go out there and, and not be one of those guys who has one good year, gets paid. And then, you know, the bust, I just wanted to constantly prove that, uh, you know, I, I, I deserved it. Yeah, and it was pretty awesome for you. First team all pro in 08, 09, uh, 011, and 2012, you're a Pro Bowl. You make another Pro Bowl. Uh, I want to talk about 11. 22 sacks, which is ridiculous. You come up a half, uh, a half a sack short of the all-time record. Is that going through oh. your mind? And I got a bunch of questions for you, too, about being on the defensive side of the ball and correlating that to baseball. But answer that one first. Is that something that's on your mind? I mean, it's got to be on your mind. It's on all our oh, minds absolutely. when we're, when we're chasing mean, certain yeah. numbers. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I mean, every 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 time, you know, every season, you know what you got to get. You know, everybody's chasing. Everybody's chasing something. Um, and so – Man, yeah, that was one of the things that, you know, actually what hurts the most is I actually uh, had, a, had a sack taken away from me on a Monday night football game against Green Bay that following Wednesday. They review and, and because they called, they said Aaron, you know, muffed the ball, he dropped the snap, that it was a team sack, and they took the sack away from me and gave it to the team. That was actually my 23rd sack of the year, so that, that sucked. And you gotta and you gotta put on that good face, like, hey, no, it was good for the team to get that sack. You son no, of a like, bitch, that's, that's my sack. I, I'll be honest, I fought that one tooth and nail. But nope, that is ridiculous. There's no one else. There was no one else on the team around that around there but me. <laughs> wow, that's unbelievable. Uh, no, yeah, that one, I, I, I remember that. That was just a year though, like you just didn't miss. You know what I mean? You know, it's just it just 
I didn't miss. You know, I was, we were in opportunities, and you know, had, you know, Coach Plugger, the coordinator, was doing a great job of, you know, played a lot more man that year too, and and you know, you know did some blitz schemes that really gave me some one-on-one opportunities, um, and and just kind of the way the way that year played out. We only went through games, which sucked, but it was one of those. So it was one of those bittersweet. You know, you know, we're not doing well as a team, but you know, I was having one of the greatest years of my career. Uh, yeah, to come up a half short, I mean, I didn't, you know, my last opportunity left me one-on-one with a tight end. I slipped coming off the ball. I'll never forget that. I knew that. I was like, ah, it's over. But, again, I think it's one of those you talk about, you know, being in a zone or, or whatever it is. I just think it was one of those culminations where I, I just didn't miss, and we happened to we happened to be, you know, in, in great opportunities. Unfortunately, we lost a lot of those games in the second half where, you know, we give us some leads. But um, I was able to get on the board early, and I think, you know, you – created the baseball you know when you get in when you get into a rhythm early right you get a couple of base hits early uh you, you start feeling better about yourself and that's what happened with football you know you get into some of these guys you know you get into you know chasing a sack right where you know i got out to a good start and you know i always for me it was always that rush to five if i get to five the next five were easy to get um and uh you know so i was just just kind of got in that groove early and uh yeah i mean like i said it was it was, it was a special year it's interesting how you say it, because in baseball, yeah, I, and I tell the young kids today, I said, anytime you can pick off an RBI, get that guy in from third, they can't take that away from you. Okay, your average yeah. is going to go up and down all year, but they can never take that ribby away. Just like you with the sacks, you say you got to five, you had something in your mind when you hit that five. Okay, now we build to the next level. It, it's very similar, I, I think, in whatever sport you play. But it's it's really interesting for me to hear from your side of the ledger, the game you played, the the life you led, and how it correlates to to my game. That's always interesting to me to talk to other athletes between ten. Uh, 2010 and 11, I think it's still the record for for the Vikings. You had 11 games with a sack in a row, and I'm trying to before I before we talked tonight, I was trying to think what how does that correlate if it's a record for the Vikings, which they got a history of a lot of great defensive players there. It's got to be pretty damn special. And I was thinking, is it like a hitting streak? You know, because I think I got up close to 20 games, but I never had one of those those ridiculous ones where you, in baseball you get to the thirties people start to yep. treat you. They treat you differently. Like they, they don't yeah, want to go near you. They don't want to yeah. jinx you. And it's, <laughs> uh, I never got to that point, but I had a couple teammates that had hit that 30 mark and it's like, Ooh, leave him alone today. We, we can't go near him. Did you do anything different? I mean, obviously you're aware if you set a record in something, you're aware that you're doing something. Well, I got a sack tonight. Got a sack the next day. Sack, sack, sack. And, and does it start to wear? Are you doing anything different for me when things were going good? If I drove in a run or got a hit, I wouldn't wash my jock. And I'm telling you, there were some times where I'm 15, 20 days in thinking it wouldn't be the worst thing if I didn't drive a run in tonight. But I, I did. I did stupid stuff like that. Do you do anything different or anything weird? No, I was never really superstitious, right? So I, you know, I honestly, I don't think, I guess you could call it superstitious. It just happened to be out of habit because that's what they did when I first got there. They used to give me a new pair of cleats before every game uh, when, I, when I first got in the league, just what the equipment manager did. And I mean, I burned through them, you know, in practice, you know, so, so quick that, you know, I always liked having a new pair of cleats for my games. So that's really the only thing I did. I always got a new pair of cleats uh, before every game. Uh, but no, I, for me, uh, no, it was more about, you know, matchups and, 
you know, more consistently. So I think, yeah, I mean, I knew what, I knew what was going on. And you, then, you know, reporters, they start telling you about it. You just start talking about it. You try not to think about it. But, you know, for me, it was, it's more, it was more of, uh, you know, try not to overthink it. Right. Cause then once you start overthinking or once you start, start trying to, you know, you know, inauthentically re- replicate that, that pattern, that routine, that's when things, you know, that's when you start trying too hard for it. So, for me, I always took up my process. Always was we always called it. You know, you had to earn the right to rush the pass. Right, so first and foremost, we're gonna stop the run, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, I always had my everyday drills that I would do. So I'm, I was a big fan of routine, a big fan of consistency. So you know, like for me, I knew if let's say if I went a game or two without a sack, and okay, hey, if I felt like I was getting into you know a slump, if you want to call it that, I knew I could, I got, I got to get back. Okay, what am I gonna do? Right, I'm gonna go out to practice early. I'm gonna get back to my fundamentals. Right, stand, start, get off. Stand, start, get off. Quit. Quit overanalyzing everything. What what's the, what move is going to work for? Okay, what what are we going to just work your moves to get to where you need to get to? Just get off, get off, get off. Start working that progression again. Right, start hitting the sled. Start flipping your hips, and uh, and so that's you know that's kind of how I, I kept it in. Um, you know, football doesn't really get you know superstitious about that kind of stuff. I think it's you know if, if you're on a roll, guys try to mess with you more just so they can uh, try to keep you loose. Support for the Boone Podcast is brought to you by Manscaped. And guys, when it came to the equipment I used on the field, it was so important. From the bat I used to the glove I used to the spikes I wore. And when it comes to personal grooming, just as picky, Manscaped just launched their fourth generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. Join over 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped. Imagine shaving with a sleek, well-designed, and optimized trimmer that makes shaving time your favorite time in the bathroom. I'm one of the first people to try the new 4.0, and I'm blown away by the performance, the craftsmanship, and the details on the 4.0 are next level. Also, the underwear. The underwear is unbelievable. They're as comfortable as any underwear I've ever worn. Get 20% off and free shipping with the promo code BOON. That's promo code BOON at manscaped.com. Dot com. And now back to my interview with Jared Allen. How much shit talking goes on in the NFL? Uh, a ton. Uh, it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. Is it? Is it? Is it? Start off and all uh, everything's everything's fun, and then sometimes it, you cross that line and it's not funny anymore. Um, you know what? Yeah, it crosses a line sometimes, but I think like for me, when I used to run my mouth, I was purposely trying to cross that line. Because then if I could get somebody so mad that they were focused on wanting to fight me, and then, you know, they weren't focused on their job. I I love that part of it, though, because, oh, you know, absolutely. I, I mean, I love the, those feelings when if I had a pitcher on the mound and I had his number and he knew, you could tell by a look in their eye. You know, and and believe me, there were plenty of pitchers. <laughs> the look in my eye probably told the story, too, that they, they had my number. But take me through a, a night where, you know, you the guy you're going up against, he's got no chance. He can't block you. And it's got to oh, be it's got to be a great feeling because it's not only that that, you know, he can't block you. He knows he can't block you. And now his fellow linemen know that he can't block you. That's that's got to be a good place to be. Good feeling. Oh, absolutely. And, and the, deal is, the best part about it is that, you know, because I mean, and then you let him know about it the entire time. Oh, right? yes. <laughs> so, so, yeah, again, it's one of those things where. You know, if they're sitting there, if they're worried about what you're saying and, and, and what, and then oh, don't let a, a quarterback yell at his offensive line. I will I'll use that to, to my advantage every day of the week just to eat them alive. But yeah, so I think that's, um, 
Yeah, you know what I mean? That's, that's the best part about that's the best part about sports is those head games, right? Same reason why, you know, a dude might throw one high and tight at you, back you off the plate. You know what I mean? Right. It's just the best yeah, in your it, head. You know, yeah, but in like baseball though, it's it's head. not so much right. In baseball, it's not so much words though. It's like you said, it's it's <laughs> they might not not throw at you, they might hit you in the head. But it, yeah. but it's always that it's <laughs> always <laughs> that quiet. You know, the only time yeah. I, I get anything is playing second base. And this now, I mean, they they're changing the game, and, and you got to slide right into second base. You can't take you know second baseman out. That used to be you know what separated the good second basemans from the great was who could hang in there when, when the big boys are trying to come knock you into left field. And I'd hear, you know, certain runners at first base, Booney, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you on this one. And I'm laughing at him. Good. Now. Yeah. Okay. You're going to get me. You're going to get me. And most of the time they're not going to get you once in a while they get you. And now you're a little pissed. And now I'm going, wait a minute. He said he was going to get me. He got me, hit me a little harder than I liked. So that's when it would go over the line. But as far as, 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 as the talk goes, baseball is more of a, a a quiet assassin, quiet drill you in the ribs, you know, quiet knock you in the left field. But but there's not so much verbiage. I, I see football and I always wonder. I go, those guys are talking a lot of crap out there. But it but it looks like it's oh, fun, yeah. especially when the winning end. Absolutely, it's uh, it's it's definitely a game where you know I didn't start putting mics out there, so at least tried to you know tone it down a little bit, but. Uh, there's really nothing off limits uh, on that during that, but 99.9% of the time after the game, it's left there. I mean, you might have bad blood with somebody just for the fact you don't like each other, but, you know, very seldom it doesn't spill over off the field. Uh, but, you know, on the field, it's kind of, it's kind of fair game. And if it, if it spills over, if it spills over, well, that's on them. <laughs> after, uh, Shoot, six great years in, in uh, Minnesota. You signed as a free agent with the Bears in 2014. You're there 14 and, and part of 15. Uh, Dan will love this. How how'd you enjoy your time in Chicago? Oh, I, I love Chicago. The city of Chicago is great. My wife's from there. It's always been a fun place to go. Uh, but you know, it was one of those times where I, you know, I was on the verge of retiring. They came and they gave me a contract I couldn't say no to. Um, and then, you know, it was kind of smoke and mirrors. I mean, the, the, the organization was in a bit of disarray when I, when I got there and, uh, it kind of reared its ugly head and the drama of the drama of football came about, but, uh, yeah, man, it was, it was, I mean, we were excited. They had the number two offense the year before I got there. Um, I came in there and I blew my L five out working out, you know, right before the season. And so I just, you know, muscled through that for that year. Um, and then, you know, everybody got fired, trusting them to get fired. Foxy and Fangio came, which I loved them to death. Um, you know, I gave, gave my all standing up and, uh, and I went to Fox after three games and I say, man, you know what, you know, so this is my last year. Why don't you guys go ahead and trade me to Carolina, get some picks for me. You guys are a young organization, Ryan Pace, you know, love that guy. Um, and, uh, let me finish my hand in the dirt. So they did that and, uh, got to go there and during a walkthrough, right when my first week, dude ran in my hip, blew my L5 out again, re, re herniated that disc, played that first game with, you know, dragging my leg around, couldn't lift my heel off the ground for three weeks. Um, but you know what? That was, it was, it was so much fun. So I always say the good Lord is going to put you where you, you know, where you need to be, when you need to be. Um, obviously, you know, we needed to be in Chicago for a handful of years and I got to finish up you know, playing in the Super Bowl and having, you know, my whole thing, I kept playing because I just, my last couple of years in Minnesota, 
you know, it wasn't, it wasn't the most fun. We were playing football and, you know, my last year in Carolina, man, we had so much fun. I was such a great team coach Rivera, that whole staff, you know, a lot of those guys are up in Buffalo now. Um, you know, McDermott and all those guys, my old, you know, decorum of us and Frazier, but it was just, we had, we had a blast. So Chicago was a stepping stone to get me to a, to get me to a Super Bowl in a weird roundabout way. I mean, I had no, never had a plan of playing for four teams. And, uh, you know, I planned on, you know, picking up another, you know, a couple of 10 sack years in Chicago and, and, and saying, say la vie. And then, uh, you know, two herniated discs and a broken foot later <laughs> and a Super Bowl loss. I was retired. <laughs> you got to go to a Super Bowl though, you know, and, and, uh, all the athletes we have on the show and, you know, football players, baseball players, uh, I've got a lot of buddies that, that, that have got two or three rings and I got a lot of buddies. Some of the best players that ever played this game never got to go to a world series. I got to go to one. Um, <laughs> we ended up getting whooped by the Yankees, but I'll tell you, it, it was, it's a special place. And that's why, you know, when I watch the super bowl, when I watch the world series, um, I'm always kind of happy for that team that wins, except for Brady. He's got enough rings by now. But <laughs> it's so damn hard to not only get there, but to win. And I've got so much respect for it because it's, you know, it seems like, oh, yeah, they won. That's really great. No, do you realize we did our, we, we played our whole life to get to this point and win? And, and so few get to do it, uh, I, especially as I get older. I've got an appreciation for that because it's a special, special place. How was it getting to go to your first Super Bowl? And you knew it was probably going to be your last year in 15 in Carolina. Yeah, it was my last game. It was it was phenomenal. I, you know, I say the only regret I had, I wish I would have enjoyed it more. You know, we tried so hard to treat it just like another game, right? Like it's another game, we're going to win and we'll celebrate and, and you know, and, and really soak it in while we're there. And then, you know, hindsight, you, you lose and uh, you're like, man, I should have taken more of this in, you know, while, <laughs> while, while we were enjoying it. But it was a great feeling. I got to end my career, um, you know, where I, where I grew up playing ball in Santa Clara, you know, in the, in the Bay Area. So um, it was, it was phenomenal. The whole, the whole deal was great. Um, you know, bittersweet, obviously, when, when you lose. Uh, but went full circle. My first start was against Peyton Manning. When he was with the Colts, and my last start was against them, you know, in the Super Bowl. So, uh, you know, my whole career came full circle. So it was a bit nostalgic, and it was, it was a great. It was, you know, overall, it is great. It's, it's a great experience. It's something that you know. Unfortunately, every time I look at my second place ring, I have to uh, have to remember. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Second place. That's what I call mine. It's a second place ring. Um, all right. I want to. I want to get a little bit into the defensive end stuff now. Stuff that intrigues me. The cat and mouse, the snap counts, uh, just stuff offensive linemen do. Are there tells with it with a hitter and a pitcher? You know, we got guys on the bench and they'll, they'll say, hey, can you see this? When he holds his glove this way, it's usually a breaking ball. When he does this, it's a fastball. So we have tells too, but as a defensive and rushing the passer, are there tells? Is it the knuckles? You know, you see in the movies, well, if his knuckles do this, it does this. Do you ever get in a groove where you can almost predict the snap count because you've got something they don't have? Oh, absolutely. So it's, whether you know, silent count game. You know, they're better now at changing their head bob up. But for me, or I like the two things. I learned from Derek Thomas. So Derek Thomas always watched the, the hand of the quarterback under center usually drops right before he's about very few quarterbacks can hold their hands steady. You know, a lot of them ask for the ball. They drop that hand right before the ball is about to be snapped. Uh, so I watch that a lot of times. I watch the play clock, right? So if the play clock's under five seconds, you know, you know, it's going to be on, you know, the next sound or, or, you know, on one. So you kind of pick up things like that. And then, and then yeah, it entails foot, you know, footwork, 
the way people's stance are uh, down and distance is a huge deal. Formations are a huge deal. Um, so yeah, there's there's all sorts of you know there's all sorts of ways of you know picking up one or two things here of understanding like okay man they're let's see their eye far you know that this is their play action you know package this is this and so you know breaking down film and picking up a few few tips and. And then again, you know, obviously, you know, you're down the distances, which which can can give it away too. But, uh, but yeah, you know, guys, guys are guys have tells, guys have rhythms, and you know, we always said in pass rushing, right? We it's all about rhythm breaking. So I might set you up, I might rush up the field three or four times, knowing that the fourth or fifth time, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna get you in the same position, I'm gonna come underneath, and that's when I'm planning on getting that sack. So, you know, um, we had a thing: if we win one out of every 17 rushes, you know, you would have you know roughly 16 sacks in a year, right? But what do you do with those 16 failures to set up that one success? And so that was kind of always a mindset. You're always working, you're always working to win, but you're just yet gathering information, gathering knowledge. Um, and if you can do that, you know, by watching film and before you get going, but yeah, there's, there's tells, um, from, like I said, from quarterback's hands, you know, you know, O-lineman stances to, to formations that can give you that extra, that extra jump. And, uh, again, if you can, if, if you're smart enough to figure them out, you can use them to your advantage. Very cool. Defensive touchdown. Tell me what that's like for you. Ah, oh, the best. I mean, there's nothing better. I mean, that's what it's all about, right? I, I, I always try to correlate it, too. I don't even know what that is. Is that they, they let me pitch a game? They let me pitch an inning? Nah, I don't know. If you, imagine if you've got to do it from freaking center, right? You get a rocket one from center field and got to do it at home. Like, that's what that pretty much is. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. Which gets me to the most interesting part. Let's go to curling. I've been reading up on you. I've been uh, I know you're competing. Uh Mark Bulger, I believe is your partner in crime in, in getting you to start doing this curling thing. To be honest with you, I love watching curling. When it's in the Olympics, I'm fascinated by it. Nobody thinks of curling, but I think keep that keep that station on. I love watching it. I love just the the idiosyncrasies to it. Um, take me through curling, man. I, I heard it was almost badminton. Yeah, you know what? We we, we I you know I took a bet to, to try to make the Olympics, so I chose curling. Got out here in Nashville and, and asked a couple of buddies to join me, and now the whole team's evolved. I mean, it's it's evolved. It's crazy. Teams get shooken up. You know, COVID happened, so the whole craziness find it now. Um, but yeah, but it's it, it's so much fun. I'm all in, it, and it's crazy because it's it's chess on ice, right? And then I, I liken it to like the short game of your golf. Like everything's everything's very finesse where adrenaline works against you, right? So for me, I like getting out of my element. I like learning new things, and I like the ability to to compete, right? And not only compete against others, but compete against myself and try to master something. Like I said, I'm a very very you know task driven that way. When I do something, I want to be the best at it. Um, and so yeah, I mean, we just we we started we started competing and we just fell in love with it and then. Like I said, it evolved that way. This last year, I got invited to play on another team, so we ended up losing in the quarterfinals for the um, to try to qualify for the Olympic trials. Um, and so, you know, now, you know, now we're kind of reassessing towards that. You know, Mark built the curling facility here in Nashville, so we get to practice all the time now. Um, and we're gonna see what the next four years hold, and they get a team together, make a nice little run at it, and uh, and see what happens. But I did, I did. I actually, my my second year curling, I got invited to uh, to be an alternate for for a team at nationals and we ended up winning the silver. So I was like the guy who got to come off the bench and play a bunch. 
and I still got my, you know, I still got my ring. So I got a silver medal in curling <laughs> for national. Very, how, tell me this: when you guys, you got NFL guys coming to the curling, into the curling circuit, how did those guys? How did those guys react to you? Were they welcoming, or was there a little bit of wait a minute? You think you're going to go play in the NFL and then come welcome. to curling? Super welcome because I think that's all the, the energy effort we put into right with with getting right. coaching and getting and, and actually showing up and trying, picking a brand, and we didn't come in with any sort of bravado. Um, you know, yeah, I set high expectations, but but I think you always should, and uh, or I should actually hit set high goals um, and end up becoming, you know, good, you know, good friends with these people. You know, I talked talk to Schuster, talked to all of them. Everybody's been so welcoming. That's one cool thing about the curling community. They're, they're very welcoming. Um, it's a small community. So everybody's helpful. Everybody wants to see you succeed, you know, to some extent, right. Unless you're beating them. And then, um, you know, it, it kind of gets, the teams get shook up a lot. So guys end up playing with, you know, they're trying to, you know, Mix and match personalities, even together, like free agency, and uh, try to find that that right that right mix. And so, um, you know, with being a small community competing against the same guys a lot, you know, everybody's got to be pretty much helpful, otherwise, no one would get along. Any surprises? Anything shocking? Like, wow, I didn't think this part of it was going to be that hard. What's the toughest part sweeping. of learning? Sweeping. Oh my gosh! After after a week, after you know, four days of of playing and sweeping up and down the ice, my body is absolutely exhausted. Oh, just brutal. All right. 2010, you're still playing. You're in your prime. You're playing for the Vikings. And uh, you get a part in Jackass 3D. I thought this was cool. You end up, you end up doing something in Knoxville. I think you broke something separated it. I don't even know if you can separate it. It's his sternum, but something happened. You got Stiflers, the ref, uh, and you end up stealing the show in that, in that scene. Take, take me through that. How'd they come to you? Were you pumped to do it? I think I would have been excited to do it. Uh, uh, yeah, we're, set we're, that, we're, set up that whole thing for me. Yeah. Way pumped. So it was just, out in, uh, you know, was out in LA doing something and, um, but yeah, they, they reached out to my publicist and asked if I want to do it. And I was like, heck yeah. So and we were doing the scene where he was catching that ball across the middle, but they gave me like this plastic little, you know, big five helmet that was bending. I was afraid I was going to hurt myself, give myself a concussion. And my buddy was like, Hey man, you're going to have to leave your feet into him. So we did that scene. And I was like, Hey, do you guys really want to like, that's not what I do. You really want to know what I do. I like, want you to drop back and throw a pass and I'll come off the edge and, and hit you. And that's, that wasn't even supposed to be in the script. And they're like, yeah, let's do it. And so I came off the edge, and I, as you saw, I buried Knox. That was that was one thing. We did about three or four takes on the other one, and that dude was tough. And I, everybody like everybody kind of was silent. Everybody thought I maybe broke his neck. Come to find out later, supposedly I cracked or separated his sternum or something like that. But we ended up becoming good buddies after all that. All those guys were great. Uh, super, super, super kind. Like Knox made my uh, my first daughter was born. He handmade him all these all these onesies, like he ironed all these patches on there and stuff himself and sent it to me. So he ended up being great supporters of my foundation. And uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was it was a cool deal. But yeah, it was absolutely funny. Although I went, I will say, I went to go see the movie and had no clue what else was in the movie. And my you know my wife and I, um, you wouldn't have kids at the time, but you know it was like covering her eyes. I've never seen more more uh, male body parts coming at you. And then the worst part is now like young kids are, man, I love seeing you in Jackass 3. I'm like, why are you watching? Like, why are your parents letting you watch? That's right. You're too young. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And this, go ahead. 
was, that was, it was a good time. It was a good time out there. And I know this next, this next thing is, is really cool. Uh, NFL USO tour to visit uh, U.S. military troops. I know your your grandfather served in the Marine Corps. Your younger brother uh, serves as well. Um, how was that? How cool was that? I've, I've had a few guys on that that have gotten a chance to do something like that, go overseas, visit the troops. Uh, how was that for you? It was great. It was humbling. You know, uh, so my grandfather grew up in the Marine Corps, uh, 23 years in the Marine Corps. Uh, so I had always had a love for our, for our men, military men and women, but to go over and see firsthand what they do was extremely humbling. Um, and, and so when I came home, I just, you know, I really, you know, a buddy of mine, co-founder of my foundation told me about, um, you know, the lack of, of a, the gap in adaptive housing when men and women come home that are injured overseas. And, uh, so, you know, we, that's, what we decided to do like, you know, how can we serve our country? I can serve those who serve us. And so we started my foundation and, you know, back in 2009 and to this day we're still building and remodeling homes to make them handicap accessible for our wounded vets coming home from Iraq and Afghanistan and um, but yeah that, that trip was that trip was amazing it was one of those deals where you know it, it truly it truly was humbling and you got to see a whole different perspective you kind of got to see our you know our, our nation you know on, on game day you know so to speak and and why we get to enjoy our freedoms why I get to do what I do why we get to sit at home and bitch about nothing and you know because we got people volunteering to go over and lay it on the line overseas. And, you know, I have a, had a friend of mine who's a lieutenant colonel and he said, listen, the United States will always be the road team. So, so, you know, so we can just sit back at home. So the people at home don't ever have to actually see what's going on. So um, it, it was, it was humbling. It's the best way to describe that, to see that in person. Real life stuff. Um, your foundation. Um, tell me a little bit about that. Where can people reach out to it? Yeah, you go to uh, homeschoolingwarriors.com or, you know, the acronym for that. And it was at jah4ww.com. Um, like I said, we've uh, basically, you know, we, we build our model homes and we make, make them handicap accessible for our wounded vets, uh, like I said, from Iraq and Afghanistan. And, you know, we're, we're different. We give it to them free and clear when the house is done. And how each house is, you know, specifically built for the specific needs of that individual. Um, and, again, it, you know, my, my slice of the American dream is a, you know, is a home for me and my family. It's a place where, you know, my home is a place where I can feel my most safest at my most vulnerable times. And, uh, you know, and where I, you know, where you can be comfortable, where you can, you know, the stresses of life kind of melt away. So, you know, that's kind of what, you know, we want to give to the men and women who deserve it most. That's my slice of the American dream. Very cool. Uh, you all the things you've done, all the, the all pros, pro bowls, um, all the things you've done in your life. What are you most proud of? Oh, man. First of all, you know, my relationship with Christ. Second of all, my uh, getting married and, and my kids. That's the God's honest truth. Um, you know, I think, you know, growing up, that maturation process of, of understanding that, you know, you go from you know, living selfishly for yourself to, you know, living for living for others, taking care of others and, 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 you know, then, you know, obviously having kids, anybody who has kids, I say any decent person that has kids knows that, that, you know, that, that it's, it's such a joy, uh, you know, just, it just to, you know, be in that situation to, 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 to pass it on and see, see the growth in your family and the joy, but that's, that's hands down, you know, my, my, my top three right there. Jared Allen, I appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, 
Pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. You're doing a lot of great stuff out there. Great career. And what we do each and every Boone podcast at the end is we bring the voice of the podcast, Dan, in for a question from the fans. Dan. Love it. Gentlemen, Jared, how are you? <laughs> great. All right, Cheer Jared. Up, Dan. I got two questions for you. One is from Mark in Chicago, and he wants to know, what did you really think of your time here in Chicago from an organizational standpoint and the way things went with you here? Oh, man. It was it was tough. It was kind of a smoke of mirrors, you know. When I when I got there, you know, it was big for me. You know, I'm a I was a 70 snapper game guy, right? That's kind of how I work methodically, working, breaking guys down and take advantage of them. So that's kind of was the, was the role I was going into. Um, and then just kind of thought we had the pieces to be really good. And then when I got there, it was just kind of disarray. And it was <laughs> it was a dysfunctional from the start. Um, you know, I think we just we just. They, they, they probably honestly we probably had too many too many guys that could play in, in too many positions and then you know you just you kind of saw it spiraling out of control and and you know, obviously everybody ended up getting fired the trustman that whole the whole staff you know but I think you've only there a couple of years uh, but then you know like I said Ryan Pace came in and and and, and you know Coach Fox and and, and Vic Fangio and stuff like that and honestly that was that was that was great that, that system just didn't fit me. So yeah, from an organizational standpoint, it was just different than than what I what it had. It was very, it was more corporate based, right? Versus you know coming from, you know Kansas City where Lamar would you know be down there hugging you, you know after every game, and then you know Minnesota, which obviously I was a major part of that organization and, and had great relationships with Ziggy and Will and everybody, um, to where you know you get to Kansas City, you get to Chicago, and really you know the upper the upper floor was kind of off limits. You know you didn't, you know, guys didn't go up there. And, that, that interpersonal relationship and uh, and it showed up on the field. Is it kind of similar to what's happening now in Chicago? It's kind of seems to be in that disarray right around now. Well, I don't I don't know. So I, I I all I can say is my time with Ryan, you know, getting to know Ryan Pace. I thought he was great. Honestly, I had no pro, no quarrel with him. Uh, I've met Matt Nagy a couple times, uh, so I think they have a good coach there. But yeah, I think I mean, so I, I don't know how from an organizational standpoint how it's running now. Um, but you know, all I can say is. You, at some point, you know, it, it's got to, you got to find that balance, right? Of, you know, guys, football players or athletes in general, you want to feel like you're connected to something. So if that continuity isn't there, that connectivity isn't there, you're never going to see the best out of people. And speaking of the best out of people, we have Jimmy in Fresno who wants to know I'm trying to grow a mullet. Any mullet hair care tips you could share? <laughs> oh, absolutely, dude. Just, uh, you know, mayonnaise. No. <laughs> uh, mayonnaise I'll use a little tip. My old, my old man, my old man, uh, my old man's bald as all can be, but he swore by mane and tail. There's an old horse shampoo, but, you know, it's been known to some studies that mane and tail will help your hair grow a little faster. So, uh, you know, that, and just gotta, you gotta, you gotta ride through the tough parts. You just gotta, you gotta see it through. It's the lifestyle. Horse. I'm, I'm, I'm an, I'm a nay on that one, if you will. Just kidding. Just kidding. All right, well, Jared Allen, thanks so much for coming on the podcast, sir. We appreciate it. My pleasure. And what a small world when uh, when the Boone when the Boone family circle can come all the way back around. <laughs> thanks, Jared. Thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, tell Aaron I said hello as well. Mailbag. Oh, Boone. Uh, mailbag time, Dan. Mailbag. All right, Brett Boone, this one comes from Missy in St. Louis, and she wants to know, Brett, it's that time of year where we are doing holiday presents. How does it go down in the Brett Boone household? 
Well, when I was a kid, I used to open a couple gifts uh, Christmas Eve, and then Santa would come, and I'd get my Santa gifts in the morning. Now, uh, and the kids are, uh, you know, they're growing up a little bit more, so uh, it's not so much, you know, Santa stuff. But we do a, a big dinner every year, depending what family comes. Uh, you know, sometimes my brothers are there, sometimes they're not. Uh, Mom and dad are always a part of, of uh, Christmas. And we don't open any gifts Christmas Eve. And uh, they all come the next day under the tree. And, and by the way, Santa still does come. <laughs> do you and uh, Aaron exchange gifts? Do you guys send each other things or is that over? No, we we've got we've got a uh, pact that no gifts amongst the adults except for the parents. So gotcha. Mom, mom and dad are are the only ones that get gifts from the kids. Gotcha. And do they still give you a gift? Um, you know what? My mom she she loves Christmas so much. So yeah, mom always sneaks me a couple gifts. <laughs> <laughs> what do you give the kid who became a famous baseball player and has everything? I'd like to mom, know. I'll tell you what. Mom always has a good taste it could be the littlest thing you know it could be the gotcha. littlest thing that 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 pair of slippers that fits just right nice nice well this podcast fit just right and we want to thank all those for tuning in my name is dan levy i'm the technical director producer and the voice of the moon podcast executive producer that's all rich herrera thanks rich digital content gets hooked up by liz landry Please share the Boom Podcast with neighbors and friends. Make sure you subscribe to the Boom Podcast so you never miss an episode of the show. While you're at it, give it a five-star rating and share your feelings about the Boom Podcast by leaving a review on whatever platform you listen to the show. For all of us here on the Boom Podcast, I am Dan Levy. Thanks for listening. See you on the next one.